It's a good day when people are worshipping God, they're getting healed. Um, it's a good day to be in church, yeah? First of all, before I start, as a church family, we just want to send our condolences to Mel and Adrian. Um, last night, Mel's mum passed away and went to be with Jesus. And so, it's such a, a tough time as we believed in faith and as their family stood in faith and we didn't see the promise on this side. But how many know that this morning, she's looking into the eyes of the Father. I was going to bed last night thinking, she is in the presence of God. Just let that settle for a moment. She is now in the presence of God. The one thing that we live our whole life to worship God and now she is in the presence of God. And I was thinking even this week about people that we prayed for even in our church. I, I, I think of Lynn Quilty, I think of Laney, I think of Consi, ones that we prayed for and, and they've passed away. And, but, but, but the amazing hope they have because they're in heaven with Jesus right now. And so please pray for Mel and Adrian and the family. Um, we want to give them some space to, to grieve and take some time to reflect on their mum's life and, and just pray for them, pray for grace over them at this time. And how many know that when we've been believing for God for something, it's actually important what our posture is. And I just want to quickly say two things. One thing, we never blame God. There's never an issue on his side of the equation. And at the same time, we don't blame ourselves. Sometimes we get caught into this, this mindset that, oh, if I would have prayed one more minute, or if I would have fasted one more meal, all these things are going to lead us to a negative place. It's not a healthy place to be in, and the enemy wants to come and condemn us of this type of stuff. So we don't blame God, we don't blame ourselves, but we do. Sometimes there's mystery. And like Hayden said a couple of weeks ago, there's mystery and we just trust him. This is one thing I do know, like the, like the disciple Peter said, when Jesus preached a sermon that they had no clue about, when the multitudes left because they didn't understand something, Jesus turned and said, well, are you guys going to leave as well? He said, well, where can we go? You have the words of eternal life. And that's where I feel we are as a church, is that we're in this moment where we're seeing like this morning, people getting healed and yet we're also grieving the loss of someone. But, but this is our approach this morning is, hey, we don't understand everything, but you have the words of eternal life. What that means is that when you speak, I come alive. And so that's our position. But, but continue to pray for, for Mel and Adrian. Just changing tunes a little bit. Um, we're actually celebrating something amazing in our church this morning. We're actually celebrating an event of 50 years of marriage. Hang on, hang on. That's all right. I know you're eager, but hold the applause. This is actually a really significant event. There's a couple in our church that are celebrating this morning 50 years of marriage. Now that is an extremely elite group to have 50 years of marriage. And this morning, we want to honor them. We want to honor the covenant that they've made in this thing of marriage. So why don't you stand up, Peter and Lynn, this morning. Let's give them a hand.
This is incredible. Um, after the service, we're going to celebrate with some people who have done some amazing work to organize some cakes and, and things, and we want them to cut the cake and celebrate with them this amazing achievement. I, I just think that, that the Lord so honors longevity, especially in this place of relationships and covenant. And so, bless you guys. I did hear something important this week that I really need to share with you. Sorry, it is here. Here we go. A husband and wife had been married for 60 years and had no secrets except for one. The woman kept in her closet a shoebox that she forbade her husband to ever open. But when she was on her deathbed, and with her blessing, of course, he opened the box and found a crocheted doll and $95,000 in cash. She said, my mother told me that the secret to a happy marriage was to never argue. Instead, I should keep quiet and crochet a doll. Her husband was so touched, only one doll in the box. That meant that she that meant she'd been angry with him only once in sixty years. But what about all the money he asked? Oh, she said, that was the money I made from selling the dolls. <laughs> and I've got one more this morning. This is actually my personal favorite, so I understand that not everyone shares the same sense of humor as me, but a woman walked into a kitchen to find her husband stalking around with a fly swatter. What are you doing, she asked. Hunting flies, he responded. Oh, killing any, she asked. Yep, three males, two females, he replied. Intrigued, she asked, how can you tell them apart? He responded, three, three were on the TV remote and two were on the phone. <laughs> Apologies. We better open the Bible quickly. Let's go to John chapter 13. John chapter 13. This morning I want to talk about the love of God. The love of God. For a couple of weeks I've literally been stuck in from like John 13 to John 18. And I've been at home, and as I pour over these scriptures, it messes me up. Just the love of God. How many know that the greatest reality in your life is the love of God? The greatest reality in your life is the love of God. And if you're not aware of it, you're aware of too many other things. This is the greatest reality in our life, is the love of God. Full stop. You can go home now. We're done. That is the most important. It is the pinnacle. It is the most important thing, is the reality of the love of God in our life. 
there's four chapters in this area in John. It's John 14, 15, 16, and 17 that pretty much summarizes this whole deal about this great love of God. To summarize it, it's like Jesus saying to, to his disciples, saying, hey, the love that the Father has for me, I now have for you, and he now has for you. And there's four chapters where, where Jesus goes on and unpacks the love of the Father for us. And on either end of these four chapters, it's interesting that there's this interaction that Jesus has with Judas. In John chapter 13, Jesus has a, a conversation, an interaction with Judas. We know that Judas was the one that betrayed him. That happens in John chapter 13. And then we have, and then Judas leaves. And then there's these four chapters of intimacy where Jesus is literally pouring his, his soul. He, we know that this is the last time he spent with his disciples before he, was, he suffered and he died and rose again. And in these four chapters, he just pours out his heart around the love of God. And then we see in John chapter 18, there's another interaction with Judas and Jesus. What I find fascinating here is that Jesus not only teaches us in four chapters about the love of God, but right on either end of the teaching, he demonstrates exactly what the love of God looks like. Let's have a look at this in John chapter 13, verse 2. It says, The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from his meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that he wrapped around him. Verse 12. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Verse 21. After he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, Very truly, I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to the disciple and said, Ask him which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is the one to whom I give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. So Jesus told him, what you are about to do, do quickly. Verse 28. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. Since Judas was in charge of the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the festival or to give something to the poor. 
As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out and it was night. We have to understand some context of this passage. Here Jesus is spending this last night before he's about to suffer, before he's about to die and raise again, rise again. How many know that Jesus and the disciples were pretty close? In another passage, it says that when Jesus is sitting with the disciples, someone comes and says, hey, Jesus, your, your family's out over there. And he turns to them and says, you are my family. There was something that Jesus had cultivated in three and a half years, whereby these people that he had shared life with were closer than family. This wasn't a discipleship program that happened once a week. Jesus literally spent life every day, every moment for three and a half years with his disciples. They shared loss. They celebrated success. They did life. They lived together, most probably. They, they ate together. They did life together. They ministered together. And on top of all this is they had the experience of being led by Jesus who was without sin. You imagine being taught by someone who never stepped out of love. This is incredible. Not one time did Jesus ever think bad about them. Did not time did he ever have a bad motive. Not, not one point did he ever have a malicious thought, a malicious word. It says he was without sin. And here these disciples are in this, this bubble for three and a half years of absolute bliss in their relationship with Jesus. I'm sure that the circumstances weren't always great, but the point is their relationship with their leader was bliss because it was Jesus. He literally for three and a half years poured his life out for his disciples. Everything. And here on this night, when one of them had in his heart to betray him, Jesus kneeled in front of him and washed his feet. Foot washing then wasn't what it is now. If, if Rachel comes up to me and there's like something on my shirt, she wipes it off, that's great. I'm thankful. It's not that meaningful. Foot washing then was like a thing where it was like a slave or a servant that did it to their master. It was, it was a sign of honor. It was a sign of respect. And here Jesus gets down, the king of all glory, the one who's led them for three and a half years and in front of the one who was about to betray him and washed his feet. Imagine if you were Jesus. What would you do? It's a scary thought, isn't it? Then we also see in these verses that I just read that even when 
Jesus says to them, hey, someone's going to betray me. He says it in such a way that the disciples don't even know who it is. Don't you wish that the Bible had emojis? I wish the Bible had emojis. If the Bible had emojis, not only could we read the words, but we could actually understand the heart and the intent of what's going on here. How many know that these words here, let me find it. He says to Judas, whatever you have to do, go and do it quickly. How many know that without emojis, that could be taken a lot of different ways? When I read this passage, this is how I perceive it. That Jesus is there, he's having this intimate time with his disciples, he's washing their feet, it's, it's such a vulnerable thing, he's pouring out his love, this is the last time he's, he's going to spend with them, and all of a sudden he turns to Judas and he says, and that very thing that's in your heart, go and just do it quickly. Amplified by about 10 times. Why would I think that? Because that's what I'll do. What we have to be careful is we don't read Scripture through the filter of what we would do. Because naturally we do that. How many know that God's not like me? Now that is one side of the coin. Let me just say, we are made in His image. We do have the mind of Christ. But the other, Christ, but the other side of the coin is that His ways and His thoughts are so far above my ways and my thoughts. We don't have an emoji here to tell us what Jesus was feeling and thinking when he said those words to, to Judas. But what we do know is what the other disciples said. And we get a clear indication about the love that Jesus showed even at this very point of betrayal. This is incredible. The way he talks to Judas is to such an extent that literally the breath before he said, someone is going to betray me. They're all looking around thinking who it is. The next breath, he turns to Judas and says, whatever is in your heart, go and do it quickly. I would like to propose this morning that Jesus never stepped out of love when he addressed Judas. He said it in such a way that, do you know what everyone thought? He was going to do something noble. They actually thought he was going to feed the poor. This blows my mind. Even on this night where you imagine Jesus knew what was coming. Imagine the stress. We know that in the garden it actually says that he actually physically sweated drops of blood. The stress that was on him at that time. This was the one time where he's like, hey fellas, I'm going to take some time by myself tonight. But he didn't. Even as he was looking at the eyes of the one who was about to betray him, he didn't single him out. He didn't ridicule him he still maintained the love of the Father. If we can jump over to John chapter 18 
And as we know, Jesus, uh, sorry, Judas leaves the place. And the next interaction we have with Jesus and Judas is in John chapter 18. Verse 1, it says, When he had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was a garden, and he and his disciples went into it. Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas came to the garden, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen, went out and asked them, Who is it that you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. And when Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Again, he asked them, who is it that you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they said. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. If you are looking for me, then let these men go. This happened so that the words that he had spoken would be fulfilled, that I have lost none of those that you gave me. And verse 10, it says, Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servants, cutting off his right ear. Jesus commanded Peter, Put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Once again, this is fascinating. Scholars tell us that that detachment of soldiers and high priests was about 600. 600 soldiers have come to arrest one man. And in this moment of chaos, in this moment of betrayal, in this moment of stress, Jesus never stepped out of love. He never stepped out of the Father's love. And in verse 10, we see this story of Peter who is so keen, he's, he's got a sword and he, he cuts this guy's ear off. How many know that Jesus came to destroy the works of the enemy? And here the enemy was coming. Do you know why Peter had a sword? It's because Jesus had told him a few chapters before to get a sword. This is fascinating. So here's Peter. This is like a light bulb moment for Peter. Here come 600 soldiers through the garden. He's got the sword, which Jesus has told him to get. He knows that Jesus has come to destroy the works of the enemy. And he says, this is my time. And there's lot, he, he puts two and two together. This is amazing revelation for Peter. He puts two and two together and he says, this is it. He pulls a sword out and cuts off the bloke's ear. Jesus picks it up from the dirt, sticks it back on his head, rebukes Peter. It's like, oh. How many know that in that moment of chaos, in that moment of stress, Peter acted out of reaction? Jesus never left this place of love, the Father's love.
in the body of Christ now, it concerns me with the events that are going on worldwide, the pandemic, the conflict with Russia and Ukraine, that there's many Christians that actually are literally... It's not to say that they haven't got a godly conviction about what they're, what they're saying and what they're believing. But what concerns me is any time that we step out of the character of Christ, any time that we step out of the love of God, we end up cutting off people's ear and they can't actually hear the very thing that we're saying. It concerns me right now in the body of Christ that all of a sudden we're prioritizing truth over love. Gone quiet. The most important thing is remaining in the love of Christ. Truth is important, it's very important, but it's not important as remaining in the love of God. You might even have a godly conviction, you might even believe that the Lord has given you revelation, and that is so important. But don't depart from the character of Christ. Do not step out of the love of God. Otherwise, we're just like Peter in reaction, where we literally cut the ear off and we wonder why no one's listening to us. Here, Jesus, full of love, never stepping out of love, heals this man. If you can turn over to Jude, verse 21. Jude, verse 21. Just before I read this. No, I'm, I'm going to read it. It says, Keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you eternal life. Keep yourself in the love of God. Verse 24, it says, To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present, present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. I would like to propose that in verse 21, it says, You keep yourself in God's love. And as we do that, he keeps us from stumbling. Keep yourself in the love of God. How many know that the verse says that we love him because he first loved us? If you're in the love of God this morning, like it's, it, it, it's by the grace of God. He's opened our eyes to see the, this, the, the majesty of Jesus and it would be crazy for anyone to say no to that. It's literally by the grace of God. But how many know that initial love, our first love, was, was never meant to stay there. It was meant to go deeper, go wider, and be stronger. Sometimes we get busy. We get some success. Things crowd our life, and all of a sudden, we move on from this first love of the Father. I believe that the Lord is wanting to restore. It's like a default, a reset in our life this morning where we actually come back to 
the simplicity of just being loved by God. This verse here says, keep yourself in the love of God. Everything that comes your way actually attempts to disengage us from the love of God. Maybe it's conflict at work. Maybe it's conflict in the family. Maybe it's a, a problem in your business. Maybe it's a health condition. Whatever the enemy throws our way is always an attempt to disengage us from the love of God. This is his primary focus. His focus is to actually shift our awareness from an from a unrelenting passionate father who loves us unconditionally. The greatest reality in your life is the love of God. And if you're not aware of it, you're aware of too many other things. Scripture says that if he gave his son, how much more will he give us all these things? The fact that the father sent his son. You see, the thing is, we have to make this personal. Don't think about the father sending his son to however many billion people. We have to make it personal. The reality is, is that if you were the only one on the planet, he would have done everything for you. It's a personal thing. The scripture says that if he who did not spare his own son, how much will he give us all these things? All these issues, all these problems. We, we can be confident because he paid the ultimate love sacrifice. He did not spare his only son, but he gave it for us. How much more will he give us all things? Keeping yourself in the love of God is a choice. The scripture here says, keep yourself in the love of God. What that means is that we actually have personal responsibility to keep ourselves in the love of God. Just like you have a personal responsibility if you want to get healthy, if you want to get fit, if you want to get strong, to keep yourself in the gym. My wife just started boot camp at 5.30 in the morning, so look out. How many know that it's her responsibility to wake up? No one else is going to wake her up at that time of the morning. Wake up. Get in the car and drive to exercise. It would be crazy for me to whinge and ring up the gym and say, hey, it's a problem with the weights, it's the problem with the equipment, or it's a problem with your organization. It's my personal responsibility to stay in the gym and do something. It's our responsibility to stay in the love of God. Keeping ourselves in the love of God is a choice. Why? Because this book, it's alive. This is not just ink on a page. It's not just words. It's actually living 
and, and, and as the Holy Spirit comes in relationship with us, this stuff actually becomes alive. It becomes food. It becomes life. Keeping ourselves in the love of God means this. It means we stop. It means we ponder. It means, means we meditate on His love. This week, I've got a brand new office. I think it's pretty much soundproof, so I'm loving it. But I think it was either Psalm 24 or Psalm 27. But I was just reading that, just spending time letting God love me through those words. And not reading it like, hey, this is David, reading it like it's me, making it personal. In John chapter 13, Jesus has an interaction with Judas. And he demonstrates just this enormity of the love of the Father. In John chapter 18, even when he comes, when Judas comes to actually betray him and arrest him, he still never deviated from the love of the Father. And it's sandwiched in between those two chapters is four chapters where Jesus teaches about the love of the uh, love of God Bob Jones who was a prophet who's now died and gone to heaven He had several visitations to heaven and this is one thing he said. He says, God only asks one question when you get to heaven. This is the one question. Did you learn to love? Did you learn to love? I think it's important that we actually think about eternity. It's important that we have a perspective of eternity. If we don't, everything we're doing has no purpose. As we grieve and we celebrate the life of yet another person associated with our church that now this morning is in the presence of God. Mel's mum has now become one of the great cloud of witnesses in Hebrews 12. And now it's our turn. It says, now run the race. Putting those things aside. Looking under Jesus. There was a quote by Brian Johnson, and I'm going to mess this up. But basically, it says something like this. Anything that is quenching your fire, get rid of it. Let me say that again. Anything in your life that's stopping this fire burning towards the Lord. We sang this song about our heart burns for you. This morning, I want to encourage you, church. If there's anything in your life that's actually stopping, hindering that fire, just get rid of it. The greatest reality in your life is 
the love of God. And he says to us this morning, now remain in my love. Keep yourself in the love of God. It's moments when we just become aware of him. When we take this book and we get alone. And we just let it start to speak to us. And we just sit there in his presence and allow him to love us. We're going to spend a moment and do that this morning. But don't wait till next Sunday to do the same thing. It might be amazing what happens here in church and but just like an amazing meal, I would never wait a week till I have another amazing meal. Otherwise, I'm going to starve. We have to be doing this every day. Remain in the love of God. This morning, we're going to spend some time in His presence and just reflect and interact and engage with this loving Father. I believe this morning is going to be like a reset for some of us. How many of you are like me that when you have technical problems, you just go and turn the thing off? That's my go-to. Or hit the reset button. This morning I believe that the Lord is wanting to reset our lives back to the primary focus, which is the love of the Father. Hebrews 12 says, hey, putting off those things that hinder us and slow us down. How many know that he's not just talking about sin? He's talking about things that we've allowed in that just hinder us from that fire, that passion, that love, that intimacy to the Father. Did you know that Jesus is praying for you? Did you know that the Holy Spirit intercedes on your behalf? Isn't this, isn't this fascinating that the Holy Spirit and Jesus are having a prayer meeting about you? This is what the Bible says. Have you ever wondered what they were praying? Of course, I wonder that all the time. Have you ever wondered what the Holy Spirit and Jesus are praying to the Father for you right now? I'm glad you asked. He tells us here in John chapter 17. This is what Jesus, he actually prayed for the believers. He actually prayed for you 2,000 years ago. This is actually a prayer in John 17 and it's verse 20 where Jesus actually prays for those who will believe in his name. Listen to the words he's praying over you this morning. He says, my prayer is not for them alone. I also pray for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you in me and I in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory 
you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. I just want you to close your eyes for a moment. This morning, everything that would want to come and attempt to take your your focus about this one thing, which is the love of God. We're going to spend 10 minutes and we're going to just engage with Him, the perfect Father, the one who is unrelenting towards you. He's relentless. His love is unconditional. It's illogical, his love for you this morning.